Blair, our comptroller, warned me that people get excited. I didn't know they get that excited, even at 9 a.m. Um, hello, my name is Nick. I am the middle school and children's pastor, as Robert mentioned, and I am so excited to be here today. Thank you for coming this morning. Um, so like Robert said, um, we just got back from youth camp, so I'm running on about eight hours total of sleep over the last week. So, um, And of course, Robert is like, Nick, you should preach, please, on the next generation, which I was so excited. But then he said, you should do it the week you get back from camp. And I was like, thanks. Thanks, Robert. Awesome. <laughs> um, but honestly, Robert was, was so right. Uh, we're coming home so incredibly, incredibly stoked about what God is doing in the next generation. I really believe with all my heart there is youth revival coming in this city, in the nations, and I want to talk to you guys a little bit about making room for the next generation in our hearts today. Um, but first, I want to show you a picture of me and my wife, Jordan. This is me and Jordan at camp. Uh, she's up here on the front row. Um, that was our giant slip and slide where people were playing dodgeball on a slip and slide. Could someone turn off that fan, please? It's going to blow away some things. Thanks. Um, we had a giant slip and slide that was uh, filled with dodgeballs, and we played a game of steal the bacon where kids were running onto this slip and slide and grabbing this giant mattress and dragging it across the water. Um, but uh, that's me and my wife jumping up there. And um, another thing, person in that picture that you can't see is a uh, little baby, because we have a baby coming, coming soon, December 2022. So we're super excited, and speaking of next generation, it's coming up, so we're very excited. So that's me and my wife, um, <laughs> and like I said, we're so excited about everything that God is doing in youth ministry, and as much as I was like, Robert, really, I'm going to be exhausted, I'm so excited to be here. Um, and if there's anyone that believes in youth ministry, Robert Herbert came up for a whole week of summer camp with us a few years ago. And I'm like, that's a senior pastor right there. Um, but the thing is, he also handed a youth pastor the mic, and that is a dangerous move. Um, and I'm also a kids pastor, so that's like double threat. So I can't preach on a Sunday without telling at least one ridiculous youth camp story. Um, so does anyone want to hear a youth camp story? All right, so I'm going to tell you about the Night of the Bears, all right? We were at Forest Home. Uh, anyone ever been to Forest Home? All right, we got some foho. Okay, Forest Home is an incredible Christian camp where youth are getting transformed every summer. It's awesome. Um, but we're up there one year, and it was about 2011, 2012. It was my first year as the intern over uh, under the youth pastor that was there. And we had actually, while we were like the third or fourth night, um, the youth pastor had gotten a call that his kid had actually had to go to the hospital. So the youth pastor had to leave, and all of a sudden, 21-year-old intern is like, oh gosh, I guess I'm in charge. And so we're out there at night, and we're praying over uh, Brett and his kids, and we're asking God to come, and we're having this like deep, intimate moment of prayer, when suddenly... All of these forest home staff come running by like, whoop, 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 and they go running by us. And we're like, what on earth is happening? So our intimate moment of prayer is interrupted, and we start asking what's going on. And it turns out an entire, uh, I don't know what you call a group of bears. Is it a pod? Is it a herd? I don't know. A flock. But a group of bears had wandered into the camp, 
okay? And they were rummaging through things. They were destroying things. And I was like, that sounds horrible. Like, what's going on? But apparently, this is just a normal thing for Forest Home. <laughs> we're like, wow, okay, okay. So, I kid you not, a guy named Avalanche, his name was Avalanche, walks up to us, and I don't think he was actually Australian, but like in my mind, he had an Australian accent, and he's like, mate, do you guys want to learn how to chase some bears? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, that sounds amazing. So okay, Avalanche teaches us how to train some bears, and so he starts training us, and he's like, all right, here's what happens. These bears wander in all the time, and what you're going to do, he says, mate, you're going to look that bear in the eye. You're going to stare into its soul, and you're going to tell yourself, I'm going to kill that bear. <laughs> and then he says, you're going to run at that bear, and you're going to scream at the top of your lungs with everything that you've got in you. And I'm like, wow, okay, this sounds intense, avalanche. Um, so, but we're like, okay, this is going to be the best night of our lives. So we walk back to the cabin, um, and like good youth workers, we leave all of our kids alone in their cabin. And uh, I'm just kidding. We're, we're good youth workers, right? We left someone else in charge. They were right next door. All right, but on our way out, our co-leader, my friend Cody, tells all the kids, I was with a cabin of junior high boys. There's like 12 of them on all these bunk beds. And he tells him on the way out as a joke, he's like, hey, guys, like, don't worry. Everything's okay. There's bears, but, like, it's all going to be okay. We're used to this. It's fine. We've been well-trained, okay? <laughs> and, but he says at the end, he says, the only thing you got to worry about is if the crickets stop chirping. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever, Cody. Whatever. You're, you're ridiculous. And then so we go off into the night. We're wandering around until, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, and there's not a single bear anywhere. Everyone else got to chase a bear but me. I was the only one that was like, come on, this is what I was dreaming for. So we're walking around, we're walking around, and we don't find any bears. Finally, at like 1 o'clock in the morning, we're walking back up to our cabin, and we step up onto the last main road before you cross into the cabin area. And I turn to my right, and there's three of us. I turn to my right, and literally from like me to Robert Herber, is a giant six-foot-tall black bear sitting on its haunt, just like, I mean, the thing was sitting down, and it's like this big, and I'm like, <laughs> so I stand there, and I'm like, this is it, like, it's been a good run, <laughs> Avalanche's training is out the window, I'm like, it's over, I'm done, I'm done, that was a great youth camp, I got to be in charge one time, and now I'm done, <laughs> but then suddenly, in the back of my mind, like, Obi-Wan's force ghost. I just hear, I hear Avalanche's voice. Nick, use the force. I mean, chase the bear. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And we look around and I'm looking at these guys next to me and we all like just know. We have this moment where we're like, this is the moment, guys. This is what we've been trained for. And so we turn and we look at this bear and draw this breath and we're like, Aah! and go sprinting at this bear. And sure enough, the thing goes barreling off into the woods and crashes through these trees. And we're like, yeah! It was amazing. It was literally the most invigorating moment of my entire life. But the story doesn't end there. Okay? The story doesn't end there. I'm going to put a, take a drink of water here. <laughs> we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Meanwhile, in the girls' cabin, okay, in the girls' cabin... 
See, youth sleep on bunk beds when they're at camp, and they're these horrible mattresses that are probably made of plywood, but nobody knows. And there's these girls, and they eat crazy food all week, and like no one's eating anything but Skittles because they keep going to the snack bar. And there's this girl on the top bunk. And while we're off chasing bears, this girl in the night turns over and starts throwing up. <laughs> but unfortunately, she was on the top bunk. <laughs> okay? <laughs> So I don't know if you know physics, but what goes up must come down, okay? So she turns and throws up, and all of it falls on this girl on the bunk underneath her and all of her stuff. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, of course, this girl then just got thrown up on, so then she starts vomiting. And then, and then this leader wakes up, and there's just people projectile vomiting everywhere. She's like, what is happening? So she wakes up. <laughs> grabs both the students by the collar, drags them out the door. She's trying to go find the nurse's cabin. And they get about three quarters of the way there. And sure enough, they can see the nurse's cabin, and there's a little set of stairs up to the nurse's cabin. But right in front of the stairs, what is there? Another giant black bear. <laughs> so, so she's got a bear in front of her, two projectile vomiting children behind her, and she calls us, and I don't answer the phone. My friend James does, and all I hear is like, and then probably a few words that you're not supposed to say at youth camp, but I guess the situation, I'm like, oh my gosh. So these guys, we go running back down to the girl's cabin, and luckily, we got there, and we were able to chase off the bear, and the girls made it to the, the cabin, but it was, wow, it was a crazy night. And we're like, okay, okay, at least the adventure stops there. Like, that was too much, too much adrenaline for one night. But we get back to the cabin, yeah. <laughs> and we had forgotten, we had forgotten about that comment that Cody made on the way out. And uh, we, at this point, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. We're like, okay, everyone should be asleep. The whole dorm is all black except for our cabin, which has like one little flickering light in the window. And we're like, what is going on? So we walk in, and there are 12 middle school boys huddled together <laughs> around this tiny flashlight that's like running out of battery. <laughs> and they're like, we're like, what happened? And they're like, the crickets stopped chirping. <laughs> We're like, guys, it was a joke. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So that's youth camp, okay? That's just a little foray into what happens at youth camp. <laughs> and it's a ton of fun. Um, obviously, that was an adventure, but there are, I could literally stay here for hours and hours and tell you so many stories about the, all the fun and crazy things that happen, um, but even more stories about all the ridiculous and amazing and crazy things that God does in these youth hearts as they set aside space for him. And I have to tell you, there's literally, even though we're coming back exhausted and tired and all these different things, there is literally no other place I would rather be because that is where God is moving. I want to tell you something today. God is moving in the next generation. There is a move of God that is breathing into these youth. And the question today is, do we want to be a part of it? All right, my topic today is, are, can we make room in our hearts for the next generation? Are we willing to carry them in our hearts? Are we willing to make a little bit of extra space in our life and in our hearts to help carry them, to build them up, to breathe God's spirit into them? And to do that, we're going to talk about Judges chapter 2. So if you guys could open up your Bibles um, and turn to Judges chapter 2. Okay, I really believe that 
this whole thing about youth ministry and serving youth and kids, it's not just for youth workers. It's not just for parents that have kids. It's not just for kids ministry volunteers or the people that are in there with the babies. I really believe that God has a space in our hearts that he actually wants to, has set aside to be able to hold some of these young people in our hearts. I actually believe that all of us are called to set aside that space and to make room. Okay, and the reason I believe that is there's some really powerful things that we see in scripture that I want to show you a little bit of today. So if we could go to uh, Judges chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 6. <clears throat> but first, some context about the book of Judges. First off, has anyone even read the book of Judges? It's not exactly like the frequent flyer of our devotionals, okay? Oh. And judge, I'm sorry, I won't judge it anymore. But um, here's the thing. How many of you guys have spent time in Judges in the last, like, two months? Anybody? Okay, <laughs> that's all right. It's really an epic book, but it's kind of crazy, and there's a reason for that, all right? Um, and the reason for that is that we, we see this, this arc, this story being told in the Old Testament about God's people. Okay, and a little bit of context for the book of Judges, it comes right after the book of Joshua and the books of Deuteronomy and all these laws and the book of Exodus. And God's people have just gone on this amazing journey of him both calling them in Genesis. He says, you guys are going to be my people. I'm putting a blessing on you that's going to go to all peoples. Hey, look, there's our church. Go to all peoples on earth. And then he says, I'm going to set aside a land for you, and it's going to be your place where you worship me and show the nations who I am. And then they get uh, oppressed by Egypt, and they're in slavery. And God does these incredible miracles to free them from slavery. He does these things that he's like, literally, it's one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture. In fact, the whole rest of Scripture keeps pointing back to this as the big stamp, the big identity marker that God puts on his people saying, look, I'm trying to show you that there is a God in Israel and that your God is for you. And then we go, they go on this journey where they're, they're finally freed from, from Egypt. They have these amazing miracles happen, and they're wandering through the desert, and God is working on their hearts. He's purifying. They're grumbling, and they're complaining. And then they finally get to the promised land, and we see this amazing, this amazing passing of the torch from Moses, who has been leading them this whole time, to Joshua. And he hands the torch of this, this mission to bring God's people into the promised land. And it's amazing. And they get there, and then Joshua starts this incredible journey into the, the promised land. They cross the Jordan River. They cross the Jordan River, and they go on this, like, Narnian-level adventure through the promised land, taking back the land for God's people. And they have all these crazy ways that God delivers them, and they, they make a mistake, but then God's there, and they repent, and they do this whole thing with God. So they go on this amazing journey. But then we hit the book of Judges, and we see something weird start to happen. Okay, all of a sudden you start reading through Judges, and these like horrible things start happening. Okay, all of a sudden, like God's people have been living out their calling, they've been going through all these different things, but things start like absolutely falling off the rails when we get to the book of Judges. If you read through Judges, you see God's people like turn away from him in these crazy ways. And then because they've turned away from him, because they've turned away from God's design for them, they start doing these atrocious things. Okay, I got the opportunity to go to uh, basically a grad school program for studying the Bible. And, and as we're in there, we literally spend entire lectures on this one chapter in the book of Judges, Judges 19, that I think is arguably like the worst chapter in the entire Bible. 
And these things happen that I'm like, I, I don't even feel comfortable preaching about it on a Sunday. And God's people do these horrible atrocities. And you're left wondering, like, this amazing people that God has done such incredible work in, like, what happened? Where did they go wrong? Like, what did they miss? Like, how did this amazing train come off the rails so hard? Okay, and I want to show you this passage that I really believe, like, this, this, and that, that pattern, it continues. Like, through the rest of the Old Testament, God's people go on this cycle, this, like, generational sin cycle starts, where God's people keep forgetting who God is, not passing it on, falling into sin, and God having to try to save them and warn them, and over and over again, he sends these prophets to warn them, and all the way up until finally the prophets all go silent for 400 years at the end of the Old Testament, and finally Jesus comes and breaks the cycle. But this whole bend of the Old Testament shifts around this one verse in Judges 2. Like the whole arc, if you really look at it, shifts around this one verse that is honestly really easy to miss. And so I want to look at it today. If you could look at Joshua, or sorry, Judges 2. I don't know what it says Joshua in my notes. Judges 2, verse 6. It's going to be on the screen, and you can also uh, check it out in your Bibles. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites. Actually, I haven't been up here before. Do I have to move so they can see the screen? Is that a thing? All right. After Joshua had dismissed uh, the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each their own inheritance. And the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, a whole generation, there's our word, had been gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. And then after this, things just start to go crazy, okay? And the thing about this verse is that the first few verses sound pretty good. Like Joshua and God's people are living out their calling. They've taken back the promised land. Like they have this amazing inheritance that they're, they're sitting down and enjoying. Okay, but then we see this massive thing that they forgot. Okay, in Joshua and Deuteronomy, we see this beautiful passing of the torch from Moses to Joshua. We see Joshua mentioned constantly throughout the book of Deuteronomy. We see the generations mentioned of like, oh, there's going to be these generations that all this is passed to and all these different things. We see all of this constantly. And then we see this beautiful like handing off and praying and blessing Joshua and he takes the mission and takes it across the Jordan to complete what Moses started. But in the book of Judges, the transition from Joshua to Judges, we don't see any of that. We don't see any mention of a young apprentice that Joshua was making room for. We don't see any mention of the next generation that was coming up underneath them. We don't see any mention of any way that those stories or those things that God was doing were being passed to the next people. Whereas in Deuteronomy, we see in Deuteronomy 6, it says, teach these things to your children. Talk about them as you walk along the road. Talk about them as you lie down. Write them on, the, on your foreheads, on the door frames. Like, that is passing on what God has given them. But in Judges, we see this verse. 
where he says, oh, I lost it. I promise it's powerful. <laughs> we see this verse where he says, after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. Guys, this is literally like one of the most tragic verses in all of scripture for me. Okay, a generation being raised up that had not heard the things that God had done for them, that had not heard the things that God had put aside for them, the things that God was doing in them. A whole generation is raised up that literally just hasn't heard the stories. And then everything for the rest of the Old Testament falls off the rails. Okay, and so as I came across this verse a few years ago, and I'd been doing youth ministry for a long time, it broke my heart. And I decided, you know what? Like, my whole life is going to be devoted to making sure that that never happens again. Okay, and I there's so many of you. There's so many of you in this room that are also doing that putting yourself aside to say, I need to make sure that the next generation hears about what God has done for them, hears about what God is calling them into. Okay, and what I want to show you today is that it, this can seem a little bit like bad news. Okay, because we see again in the book of Judges that honestly, and to be frank, like when we're building up things in our lives, our careers, our ministries, our passions, our families, our households, all these different things and we're building up, if we do what they did in Judges and forget about who we're passing those things to, they will all come crumbling down. That's just what we see in life, in Scripture. If we don't pass on what God has handed us, the truth that he's given us to the next generation, it doesn't matter how amazing your ministry is. It doesn't imagine, matter how profitable your business is. What matters is what are we taking that God has given us and handing it to the next people that are carrying it so they can finish the task. Guys, I really believe that all of us are called to be a part of that. And I promise it's not bad news because the thing is, we can do this, okay? And I want to tell you, give you two pieces of good news to show you that this is happening and will continue to happen. God is passing his message, his truth to the next generation. And there is an invitation today to you and your life to be a part of it. The question is, are you willing to make a little bit of room? Okay, here's my first piece of good news. Okay, first piece of good news. God is already moving. Everybody say amen. amen. God is already moving in the next generation. Okay. <laughs> there is a youth revival coming. And the question is, do you want to be a part? All right? Like, it's not, a, it's not a question in my mind. I just know there is a youth revival moving. I want to give you a little bit of a just prophetic history for a minute of some different things that God's been speaking in this era. And there's so many people that I talk to that are like, man, God is doing something in the youth, and he's releasing something. I was talking to a worker that's doing some different uh, things with youth in, in Israel. And if anyone knows or has heard Robert preach like 85 sermons about Israel and how much he loves them, uh, you'll know that Israel is a place where revival is going to help spread across the globe. And I was asking him like, hey, what are you seeing? And he said, you know what? You know where I'm seeing the hunger? Is in this next generation of people in Israel, in the young people. She was talking about these youth and these young, young adults 
that are suddenly becoming sensitive to the Holy Spirit and they're being softened to that. And that's what's pushing them to say, hey, Jesus is Lord, okay? And I wanna tell you, okay, so we, we um, the summer of 2019, I, we had just kind of stepped into our role here at All Peoples um, and we we're so excited and so pumped and really believing that God is doing something special. And as we were praying and asking the Lord to really speak over this generation and, and what is he doing in this time, he shared with us this verse from Isaiah 44. It won't be on the screen, unfortunately, but I'm going to read it to you. And if you have a Bible, you can take a look at it because it's really powerful. Isaiah 44, verse 3. Okay, Isaiah is this book that's filled with God talking about his suffering servant, talking about Jesus that's going to come and do these different things, talking about the Messiah that's going to come, talking about how God is going to fulfill his plans for what he's doing to bring his truth to everybody. And there's this part where he talks about saying, I'm going to pour out dry water on a, or water on a dry and thirsty land, okay? And everyone reads that verse. But a lot of people don't read the next verse. Look at this. 44 verse 3. For I will pour out water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Then it says this. I will pour out my spirit on your, what? Offspring. And my blessing on who? Your descendants. He says, they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some of them will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name of Israel. Guys, we're at youth camp, and there's all these youth that somehow find permanent markers. Those are like banned, and I don't know how they keep getting them. There's like a permanent marker dealer. But they literally are like writing these things on themselves all the time. They're like writing these tattoos or these different like pictures or whatever, they're drawing on each other, like signing each other's leg. I'm like, your leg's not broken. Why are you signing it? So <laughs> that verse, though, of still others will write the name of the Lord on their hands. Like, imagine if that was like these youth that are writing on their hands, I am the Lord's, and I want everyone to know that. Okay, that is what God says he's doing. He says, I'm pouring out my spirit on the next generation. That same summer, Kelsey Rich, one of our uh, youth workers. Um, okay, money? Everyone get up for Kelsey if you know her. All right, Kelsey's awesome. She has been a part of our prophetic nights that meet up and all these different things. But she, the same week as we re received this word about Isaiah 44, the same week she has this dream where we're at, it was when we were worshiping in the worship center like eons ago, okay? And so everyone was in the worship center in this dream. She comes out of the worship center and everyone was worshiping inside and kind of paying attention to what was going on in there. And she walks out and outside, right outside the door of the church was this massive waterfall. And there were these youth that were gathered around it. And one of them, which was a youth that we'd walked with for a very long time and saw some really amazing transformation and there's a whole journey there. But this one youth steps into the waterfall and starts like receiving these gifts of the Spirit and starts speaking in tongues and prophesying and all these different things. And she's like, whoa, what is happening? So these youth keep coming to this waterfall. And it's literally the same week as we have this verse about God saying what? That he would pour out his water on a dry and thirsty land. Okay, and then Robert, about like a couple weeks later, Robert comes up. I mentioned he went to youth camp. He comes up and preaches at our youth camp. And the last night he's talking about being a broken horse, about being surrendered to the Lord and allowing God to come and put his spirit in you. And so we start praying the ministry of the Holy Spirit over these youth. And it's just like breaking out. 
the Holy Spirit is just falling on these kids, and we've got like 50 kids at the front, and they're like, ah! And they're praying over each other, and they're students praying for other students. Okay, the next night at that camp, we had a student come forward and share that they were set free that night from suicidal thoughts, and that he had actually attempted suicide. And as he shared his testimony and talked about what God was doing, 17 other students came forward and said that they struggled with the same thing and needed God. That is the Holy Spirit falling. Okay? We, oh, there's so many stories I could tell you, but just, I'll show you one picture really quick. So there's this picture of, we went this last year, so not this summer, but last summer to a conference called Future Quest, okay? And uh, at Future Quest, it's hosted by Foothills Church. They're awesome. We've had a good time with them. But there's like 2,000 youth in this room, like this giant conference of youth, and we're doing all these crazy games, and it's awesome. And one of the nights, the speaker gave a salvation message. And about 45 kids came forward and said, I want to be, in front of all their peers, they're like running up to the front, said, I want to be Jesus. I want to be his. I want to give my heart to him. And they accepted Jesus. There's this group of 45 students. And of course, I don't really know why, but that kid standing up in the middle, it's actually one of our students from Horseman. For some reason, he's like, I'm going on stage. So he jumps on stage and the guy's like putting his arm around. He's like, this guy. So it was kind of funny. But this group of 45, the, the speaker starts speaking to them, and he starts talking to the rest of the conference hall. And he says, hey, you know what, guys? Like, the Holy Spirit's not just moving right here. Like, he's in you guys. And you guys, like, you don't have to come to a conference to preach the gospel and see your friends saved. You don't have to come to a conference to hear about the fact that Jesus died on a cross for every single one of us that he loves us, that he poured out his blood to take the consequences of our sin, and that you can walk in a new life with him if you give your heart to him. He's like, you don't have to come to a conference for that. You can share that with your friends and see them saved. So if you want to ask the Holy Spirit to come in you and give you the power to come and share that at your schools and pray for your peers, would you come forward and lay your hands on these kids and pray for them? And I kid you not, there's like hundreds of students that just start running to the front like sprinting down the aisles to go pray for their peers that just accepted Jesus. I'm like looking at this picture, I'm just weeping in the third row, like what is happening? And there's this mass of students praying for their peers that just accepted Jesus. Guys, God is doing something in the next generation. Okay, there was, I won't tell the whole story, but there was one other prophetic word about God asking people to stand at the gate. Okay, there's a verse in Genesis 22 that says, your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies, the cities of their enemies, okay? And we were doing this prayer time, and Jordan got a word about this giant gate, and he was, God was saying, I'm looking for people to stand at the gate and hold it open so that I can come in and do this work in these students, and I can bring my laborers to do this work in these schools, Okay, God is looking for people who are willing to make a little bit of space in their hearts to hold the gate open. And the beautiful thing is, we don't even have to do the work. We just hold the gate open. And then the Father comes and does all of this work. The Father comes and pours out his spirit. We just need a little bit of space, a little bit of extra room to give these youth a little bit of a chance to come through the door. Okay? My second piece of good news is this. You can do it. All of us can do this. Okay, I want to show you a couple really practical ways. I promise, some of you guys are listening to me and you're like, I don't have enough room in my life to even manage what I've got going. 
Some of you guys are like, I filed for a tax extension seven times, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to file another one. Okay? Some of you guys are like, I don't know. I don't have space in my life. But I want to show you it's really not as hard as it seems. Okay? I want to show you something called the one caring adult principle. Can you put that slide on the screen? There's a principle in psychology and from a bunch of research about um, particularly youth and youth trauma, um, kids that have gone through major abusive situations or trauma, um, what are the things that help them move forward in their lives? Okay, and then, uh, Harvard University Center on the Developing Child found this, and this is like, there's like websites about this, it's like a whole thing in the youth world, okay? No matter the source of hardship, the single most common factor for children who end up doing well is having the support of at least one stable and committed relationship with a parent, caregiver, or adult. All it takes is one caring person in a young person's life. Like just one person that might be like your neighbor that every time they come over asking for a cup of milk is like, hey, God bless you, I love you, and they're just always there. All it takes is one person. And what research shows is that like that changes their resilience. Resilience is a measure of when kids go through trauma, how likely are they to come back from that and have a moderately successful life? How likely are they to come back from the things that are coming at them? Okay, and what everything shows is that one caring adult literally changes their resilience from like here to here. All it takes is one person willing to care. Okay, and the thing is, everybody has someone. Okay, there should only be mathematically one person in this room that does not have anyone younger than them. And even them has someone right there in that bungalow. Okay, <laughs> everyone has someone younger than them. It might be, if you're a college senior, it might be a college freshman that you need to have eyes for and be that one caring person in their life. It might be your little niece that has some crazy family stuff going on and you just need to keep taking her out to McDonald's and having fun with her. Okay, it might be you're a middle schooler and you're like, I need to serve in the kids ministry because I want to show what God's put inside of me. It might be, I don't know what it is, but all of us have someone that is younger than us. You might be a dad and you're like, I have my own kids. And let me tell you what, those are your people. Okay, if you are mothers or fathers in this room, I just want to say thank you. Okay, and your way of doing this is by loving on your children. But aside from that, you can also speak into another young dad that's struggling with the same things you've been through. And you're like, hey, this is how we got through it. How are you passing what God's given you to the next generation? Whether it's the next generation of fathers or of women or of boys or of young warriors or of young kingdom workers. Okay, how are we passing what we have to the next generation? Okay, three easy ways that we can make room. We're just going to hit these three ways, and then we'll be done. But it's really, really powerful. Make room for speaking. I was discipled by the pastor, Robert Herbert, and he taught me anytime you have points, they have to have three letters that are the same. So <laughs> these are all three S's, okay? All right, so make room for speaking, okay? Um, what I mean by this is that all of us, how many of you guys have ever been trying to do something and your kids just keep asking you a million questions? Anyone ever had that happen before? Okay, I only know a little bit of that because I've been to youth camp and so we're like trying to do things and they're like, but you don't understand the zip line. That's where we gotta go right now, okay? So what this is talking about is if we can make a little bit of room in our day for a couple extra words. Okay, I wanna show you guys something really quick. 
This was a, I was at camp. I was at camp, and I came across a note card. Actually, someone in here wrote this note card, but I'm not going to embarrass them. Okay, I came across a note card. It had actually fallen out of a student's Bible. All right, and the student had been hanging on to it in their, in their journal, and like, I assume reading it, and I had actually called them to make sure I could use this because I didn't want to embarrass them. Um, but let me read you this note, okay? I won't use their name or anything like that. We are so excited to get to spend even more time with you as you enter high school. You have a big call on your life. You are an overcomer, a leader. Be brave, courageous, and stand strong for Jesus as you enter high school. We are here to stand with you and support you. We believe in you. Love, person, anonymous, okay? You know how long it probably took to write this note? Probably about 45 seconds. And that student was carrying it around in their journal every day of camp. Okay? All it takes is a little bit of extra space to speak those extra words, to pray that extra prayer for some kids in the morning, to pray that prayer for your niece to know Jesus, to pray that prayer for that freshman that needs it. A few extra words can go a long way. The second way. I'm a mess up here. It's okay. It's like youth camp. Make room for sidekicks. Okay, this one might be a little cheesy, but you'll remember it. Okay, make room for sidekicks. What I mean by this is Jordan's mom, Jordan is an amazing cook. That's like 50% of the reason I married her. The other 50% is how much she loves Jesus. Okay, she is an amazing cook. All right, but here's the thing. Her mom, who's also here today, what up, KK? Um, So her mom is here, and Jordan always tells these stories about how her mom would make space on the counter for Jordan to sit there while she was cooking. Okay, and if any of you guys are parents, you know that that doesn't make it easier. Like, there is a cost to this, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to say there's not a cost. There is a cost. It's a little bit harder. But if you just make a little space on your counter for a little Jordan to sit there, all of a sudden, Jordan becomes this incredible cook and this incredible woman of God. Okay, if we would just make space in our life to just, like, bring a kid with us, have a little sidekick that's, like, right there with you, whatever you're doing, whether it's changing your oil, my dad, for me, literally, I know how to do so many things because my dad was there to say, hey, Nick, I want you to come with me. I'm like, Dad, why do I have to change the oil in the car? This doesn't make sense. There's mechanics for that. But I am so thankful, (laughs) okay? I am so thankful for my father and what he's given me because he made room for me. You. Amen. <laughs> I'm gonna start crying. Okay. Make room for sidekicks. Go on mission. I love the Mexico trip. We just got to see people doing this all the time in Mexico, going and sharing the gospel, praying for people. And instead of letting the kids just sit back saying, hey, come do this with me. And then we've got this girl, Layla, who's literally like, next time we're doing outreach, she's literally dragging adults like, no, you don't understand. We have to pray for that person. And they're like, okay, Layla, here we go. She's eight years old. Okay, so uh, my last one is make room for serving. All right, the first two are things that absolutely everybody, I really believe, is called to. I, unfortunately, I really don't think we get a buy in these Okay, we are all called to make a little bit of space for a young person in our lives. But there's also some of you in this room that are actually called to be serving on a team, being frontline workers in this whole thing of loving kids, of passing on to the next generation, of loving youth, of talking to high schoolers about what they're going through. There are some of you in this room right now that are actually called to this. 
and you're actually not walking in that calling yet. Okay, this is your invitation. This is your moment. Robert gave me the mic, so I'm going to say, <laughs> this is your moment. Okay, it is so easy to get involved. Let me show you a couple ways you can get involved. We have a kids ministry. Give it up for the kids ministry. You're already here on a Sunday. Some of you guys are so great with kids and have such amazing things to pass on. And it's literally as simple as just hanging out in a classroom and loving on children, showing them that you're that one caring adult that is representing Jesus in their lives. Okay, come serve on a Sunday. Let us know if that's an interest for you. Okay, we have a youth team, a middle school team, and a high school team. Give it up for the high school youth. Give it up for the middle school youth. All right, one night a week, one night a week, we host a youth group gathering. Okay, in the fall, we'll be starting every week doing one night a week. And just one night a week of being present with students and being that one caring adult that's there, praying for them, interceding for them, passing on the truth of the gospel. Honestly, it's nothing. People are always like, I don't know enough to lead in these areas. That is false. That is the enemy trying to cut off this generational thing I'm talking about. All you need is for Jesus to have moved in your life. And all you do is you tell them about what you've seen Jesus do. That's all you need. Okay, so come help us out with the youth team. We also have campus clubs. Okay, we partner with an organization called Urban Youth Collaborative. All right, they are an incredible organization that we've worked with for a long time. John Ferreira's there in the back in that sweet Hawaiian shirt. Woo, woo! Dane and Hogham also works for Urban Youth. Okay, and what they do is they help churches partner with local schools to have faith clubs. Okay, like at lunch, it's a 30, usually 35-minute club, like 35 minutes of our day to go and be present on campus with these kids in the middle of what they're going. They're in this battlefield. I don't know if you've ever been to some of these different schools, but it is a battlefield of the faith. And what you get to do is just be there for 35 minutes at lunch and just talk to them about the stories of the Bible that we're sharing, to love on them, to pray for them. Okay, and there's so many ways we, we do. John is now starting some leadership classes, some different ways that you can help kids with different resources. There are so many awesome opportunities to get involved on a campus or a school. And if we would all make a little bit of space to just like even adopt that school in our prayers as you drive by it. Okay, God can move in those places. All right, and the last one. As our church has grown, we've also seen grow a huge need for students that have special needs or disabilities. Okay, as our church continues to grow, we have so many different people from all different kinds of walks of life. Okay, and we have some students that all they need is just like a little bit of extra help. And they can participate with everyone else and get the same community and support that's going on with the rest of the students. Okay, we actually need people that are willing to be that one caring adult for a student that has, needs a little bit of extra help. Has different, and don't disqualify yourself. Like some of those needs are physical. Some of those needs are emotional. Some of those needs are developmental. But if you just have a heart that's like, you know what, that kid that needs a little bit extra, like I'm willing to be there. Okay, please sign up. And the way you can let us know if these are things that you want to respond to is that QR code on the back that Robert mentioned earlier. If everyone could hold that up for me. And then we'll close in a minute. Band, you could start making your way up. That QR code on the back. If you will scan that, there is a button at the top, a giant button that says Next Gen Ministries Interest Form. Okay, this is not a commitment. If you're feeling a plug on your heart, I want you to please click that link and uh, click anything that applies to you that you have an interest in. Okay, 
Don't disqualify yourself. If God is pulling on your heart and you feel, you know what, maybe I'm supposed to be on one of these teams, please click that form and let's talk about it. It's just, it's just an interest form. We'll just talk. You don't have to like sign in the dotted line, all right? Um, so as the worship band comes up, I wanna, I wanna lead us in some response at the end here. Like I said, I really believe that all of us are called to respond to this. All of us are called to make a little bit of room. Like I said, a little bit of room on the counter, a little bit of room in our words, a little bit of room in our prayers to carry the next generation with us. Okay, and what I've seen in my life going to these schools and going to these different places is that it's like this story of the bears at the very beginning of the sermon. Okay, that is what these students' lives are like. Okay, it's like these bears. The Bible says that, I think there's a verse, oh, I don't know if I put it up. There's a verse that says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Guys, I go on these campuses and I see students that are getting obliterated in their life by sin and destruction, that have situations in their family or in life that have just like destroyed them. And they're just looking for someone to say, hey, you can do this. They're just looking for someone to say, hey, I believe in you. Did you know you're made in the image of God? Did you know that Jesus died for you? Did you know that he actually has a big calling on your life? These students need someone to come. And the thing is, like that story with the bears, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What I found out about those bears is all I had to do was stand up and run at that thing saying, no, you will not have me. <laughs> These students need to know that they have that power. And all they need is someone to make a little bit of room to tell them that they do. They do. 